You're listening to the Fade to Gray Network. We invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories, their nuanced conversations, and forward thinking, and not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing, but not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. Hello, Fade Gray listeners. This is Seth, and today I get to come on with Chris and Elizabeth as we interview Josh Rogie, who wrote a book on shame. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. How are you all doing? Pretty good. Staying warm. We're doing well. We are so excited to have you on today, Josh. Um, so tell us a little bit. Have you written a book? <laughs> yes, yes. I have a book coming out on February 11th called Shame, an Unconventional Memoir. And uh, it kind of is what it sounds like. It's a it's a telling of my own personal story um, from the through the lens of the ways that I've experienced shame, and a lot of it is from a, a religious background, a religious setting. Although not exclusively, some of it's just the the nature of growing up in the '90s and um, things like bullying and stuff like that as well. And uh, I just kind of hit it head on and. I like to tell friends that it's an exercise in oversharing as an experiment to <laughs> kind of just see how it's going to go. I, I think that a lot of people will probably find at least something in there relatable and probably something they haven't wanted to share that maybe seeing somebody else share would hopefully embrace them. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. So what was the catalyst for inspiring this book? Like, is there anything that happened in your life that was, you know... Uh, I guess so traumatic that made you go, you know what? Like I have to get this out. Like I have to share this story. Yeah. I, I feel like it's a couple different ideas that kind of all came together all at once. Um, one is that um, somewhat early in my marriage to my wife, Danica, we experienced a miscarriage totally unexpected. We didn't even know we were pregnant. It was very early on. Oh man! And um uh, we, that's something we've continued to wrestle with because we've had multiple miscarriages at this point. Um, but it's something that I was like, man, I, I really need to write out how I'm feeling about this and stuff like that. And at the same time, I happened to a lot of the content I was taking in from podcasts and stuff like that. We're all talking about like image management, um, especially within religious circles, within Christian circles. And I was also toying with this idea of wouldn't it be something if somebody just had a project whether it's a podcast or a book or whatever where they just laid out all their shit all at once and they were like hey we're not going to have any problem with image management because you know all of my dirty laundry (laughs) so um i i wanted to kind of combine those two ideas and uh with the the infertility thing at first glance you might think how does that relate to shame but I, I talk about it in the book how, um, you know, especially the, the first time we went through this with Danica and I, uh, the the emotions and feelings that I had as a, a very young, newly married individual who, who didn't really have any emotional ties to this baby because it, it happened again when she was just a couple weeks along um, was actually relief. I was like, I, I'm not ready to be a dad. Yeah. So um I, I didn't know it at the time, but I didn't have the emotional capacity to really help my wife with the difficulty she was going through. So that, in a sense, even though she didn't do anything to shame me, that created this embarrassment, this sense of, 
why did I react that way? Um, so that was kind of the, the catalyst between that and the image management idea to then go backwards into my own story. Yeah, I can imagine something like uh, going through a miscarriage would bring up a lot of things from your past that that might actually be something that could happen that would open up all of this other potentially unresolved things from your childhood. Um, you mentioned bullying um, when we started the conversation. Tell us a little bit about what you went through growing up that installed um, a sense of shame. Yeah, so especially with bullying, I'm I'm not a very big man and, and never was growing up compared to my peers either. Um, I'm only five foot six and... Same. Okay, yeah, yeah. You, you <laughs> know the struggle. You guys are so cute. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I've never really been a very aggressive personality either. So, um, and, and I'm the oldest uh, child in my family in a family that had its own scars from abuse uh, within the household. So my my parents were always very strict about how you, you're not going to wrestle with your siblings and stuff like that. So then when I get to, okay, well, a little bit more background. I went to a, a Mennonite private school briefly. And then eventually, yeah, yeah. We might want to pause there. Yeah. Hang on a minute. So is that your background is Mennonite? My my parents grew up Mennonite. I, okay. um, I guess like we went to a Mennonite church until I was I was very young. And then um, I went to a Mennonite private school through third grade. And okay. uh, believe it or not, I got bullied a little bit there as well, although that was probably mm. a little bit closer it. to more standard um, rough and tumble type things versus like extreme bullying. Could you explain what Mennonite means for people who may not really know what that is? For, yeah, people, who, so, um, for people who aren't from Western Pennsylvania and Indiana. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so Mennonite, Amish is an offshoot of Mennonite, just to kind of give you a range of what we're looking at here. Um, they so your not, family makes badass cheese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think we do, but I'm sure like a cousin does or something probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so um, it, they're similar, not precisely the same. Mennonites aren't quite as isolated. They're not um, quite as technophobic or whatever the proper term would be. Uh, but but it's definitely still in the same you know general radius. Um, they are much to themselves. They're, it's a very conservative group of people. In all ways. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? <laughs> there is some German background. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, even even in the the way they dress is very conservative. It's very like monochromatic, not a lot of colors or anything that would stick out at all. Um, which is part of what ultimately affected me because then when I went to a public school where there's no you know goofy dress code, I I looked weird, you know. Um, I would wear what was called high water pants, you know, I'd get made fun of for that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we didn't even wear jeans up until that point. So yeah. Um, it's just the khakis, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Like these, a lot of times it's like kind of black slacks, I guess is oh, the probably... black slacks. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's, then, there's um, a couple like different said, kinds very... of Mennonites over here. So got to figure out which one mm. you wear. <laughs> right. Well, I, I'm no expert on that background because, like I said, we, we stopped doing that when I was maybe eight or ten. Uh, my parents went through a, a separation for a time and they kind of they didn't get excommunicated per se, but they felt like they effectively were. So 
Sure. Um, we still have family that are Mennonites, but yeah, it's uh, we we're not related or tied to the church at any point after that. Did they go through a change when they left? Like, did the way that you were being raised, like, did that change as they left the Mennonite faith? Or I would say not dramatically. We we ended up going to a Nazarene church, um, which uh, <laughs> okay, where I'm from, especially. Um, it it's not much different. It was very conservative. There's some of the rules are a little less so, but it it wasn't much different. Nazarenes are almost as conservative as you can get in the Christian right. faith. I almost, I yeah. Um, I, I've kind of experienced like that full spectrum. Like I went to Eastern Nazarene College briefly, which is in Boston, and um, okay. I, up to that moment, that was the most liberal uh, religious experience I had had. So. I mean, given what I'm telling you about my background, maybe that's not shocking, but... Yeah. So let's get into the bullying, right? So what was it about you? You know, I guess we're up to the point where you're about maybe third, fourth grade here. Your family is separated for a time. I'm guessing maybe your parents reconciled? Yes. Yes. Fortunately, they did. Um, I would say they were separated for about nine months. Mm. It's funny because... I don't have a lot of the specifics on that being that it, I talk about this in the book, but my, my parents, I would say, feel a lot of shame about that time frame as well. So it's something that we don't talk about a lot. Sure. Now, yeah. awesome enough, uh, I had them read this book, you know, because I wanted them to really read it before it released just a few weeks ago. And we were talking about it over the holidays and they actually opened up so much. It was, it was incredible. Um, but all that to say... In terms of the bullying, I think it's a combination of, you know, I was, um, again, uh, vulnerable, I guess, in terms of my physicality. And uh, I was in a new environment where I didn't really know anybody going in. And, um, you know, then with what my parents were going through, I didn't, especially as the oldest, I, I kind of always felt like I was the leader of the children. And sure. um, I just didn't want to add any burden to what my parents were already going through. So I, I just never told them about it. They didn't even know I was bullied until they read the book a few weeks ago and, and were heartbroken as, as parents, you know? Oh, I'm sure that was hard for them to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Can you remember a specific instance where you were bullied that really, you know, added to your shame? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's there's several I could pick from. I, I remember more than once, um, you know, we would have a swim class. So we'd be in the locker room having to change out and all of that. And I remember a, a couple of guys cornering me and, you know, um, dragging me to the toilet because they're going to, you know, give me a swirly. Um, thank God I, I never actually got, you know, dunked. Um, I'm, I'm sure that's a fucking awful experience. Um, but I, you know, it's just, uh, it's almost like being in a mob or something like that where, you know, it's the chaos of it. You're just like begging, Hey, please leave me alone. I didn't do anything or, you know, whatever, just trying to shove them away and things like that. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that sticks with you for sure. And, and I would say that happened, that specific thing probably happened maybe two or three times, and then mm. uh, other instances of, you know, getting uh, like pushed into a locker, like like shoved into the locker um, and and then uh, trying to close it on you and stuff like that. That's 
it's something that when I, before writing this book, I, I would have just maybe generically said, yeah, I was kind of bullied. And then the more I got into the specifics, I was like, man, that was pretty awful, actually. Yeah, and that must have been traumatizing. Have you gone through any um, therapies or anything like that? Do you just, or you probably discuss it in your book, but have you had anybody help you walk through that? Or is writing the book what's been your therapy, kind of processing that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I haven't gone through any therapy for this. I, I've done some counseling um, back when I was in college, uh, but it was only a few sessions. It was actually um, around the time I got over a, a really unhealthy relationship before I was married. And um, it was really beneficial at the time, but I haven't unfortunately gone back to therapy. I really honestly would like to and probably should. Uh, but that being said, writing the book has really honestly been beneficial in regards to these things as well, for sure. Something cathartic about writing about your experiences and just kind of letting it out. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, absolutely. Have you always processed with writing like that? Not really, to be honest. I, I've never um, consistently journaled or anything like that. No, that, I guess the short answer is not really. That's interesting. <laughs> I I journal. I haven't done it a whole lot recently, but I do find it really cathartic for myself. Yeah. But I'm a terrible writer. <laughs> like I've, I try blogging and I write a newsletter for my bit for my store that I work for and I'm terrible at it. <laughs> that's why I podcast. Same. Um, Fair. So I wonder if that's a thing. Like <laughs> you either journal or you write. Maybe. maybe <laughs> you don't do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt like I should journal. I mean, I've, I've heard that it's very cathartic. I think part of it has been that, um, and I'm not saying this is a good thing because it's probably not in general, but I've always been able to like compartmentalize my emotions pretty well. So even though those things were really um, dark and really, really just effective on my psyche, I didn't have a lot of memories of like just, you know, uh, hiding in my bedroom, crying and stuff like that. I mean, maybe some like every kid does, but not an unusual amount considering what I went through. Have you heard any of the newer studies that are coming out where they say like uh, bullying actually is a part of building thicker skin and becoming, you know, a, a, a part of society or whatever. And, and what do you think about those thought processes like that? What do, I mean, do you think that there's any benefit to bullying in society or do you think it just needs to, you know, go away? Um, I'm not familiar with those studies. Um, so I won't talk about that specifically, but to answer your question, um, I would say I could understand that to some degree. Um, I would say the level of degree that I experience bullying is more, debilitating for sure. I, I lacked so much confidence and um, mm. even self-awareness. Uh, I, I would say, I don't know if I could pin it entirely on those experiences, but it's definitely at least related for sure. I, I would imagine if you're going to make an argument for, you know, it being an effective way of getting thicker skin, that's probably more of the like, uh, kind of sibling rivalry type behavior right. and stuff like that, where you're kind of picking on each other and stuff at some point when it goes from that to uh, physical harm and things like that nature are probably, I would probably say only destructive. Yeah. Uh, just to follow up on that, I was going to say that I'm sure like even the things that I went through that are definitely, you know, on the more extreme spectrum of bullying, I, I mean, good things can still come from bad things. So uh that it does create a sense of resiliency as well. I just wouldn't argue for that being a good method of building up resiliency. 
Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So moving on from the bullying, then we've covered the miscarriages. We've covered the bullying. What other aspects of your um, life have you experienced shame that you're using in your book? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's several different things that I bring up. Some of them are, you know, just one chapter. Some of them are kind of linked together. Um a huge one would be, again, I said I was in a, a very unhealthy relationship prior to my marriage um, where, you know, I, I lost my virginity to a woman who was married but estranged from her husband. And there was another guy in this whole thing where uh, I thought they were broken up and I was trying to date her. And all of these things that in hindsight, you're like, wow, that was a lot of stupid oh, wow. decision making all at once. Um, but I the the side or the aspect of it for me was that um i guess i didn't realize until i went through it that purity culture had a really big impact on me as Mm. well because um once i lost my virginity to her there was this sense of like i need to figure out how to make this work and how to convince her to ultimately marry me because um i was only supposed to have slept with one person and um, mm. what do you do when that person doesn't want to marry you? You know, right. so um, and, and obviously they're never heard that story. Right. Before. Well, I'm sure we can all relate to, uh, to some degree if you grew up anything like I did. Um, but uh, yeah, I uh, um, you know, I just went through this this time frame where I'm trying to uh, make things work that are just not, they're not going to work. And, and even if we got married, it would have been an awful marriage too. So thankfully it didn't get to that level, but I, I just didn't have any understanding of the impacts purity culture would have had on, on me up until I went through that. So you're saying your parents never really talked to you about sex then? Like you never really got to experience someone giving you the birds and the bees talk or any mentorship from like an older guy of like, you know, how it works and all that stuff. Yeah, that, that's absolutely correct. Never had that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing remotely relevant would have been that um, I had like a health class or whatever in, you know, eighth grade. Oh, yeah. And they definitely still, it's eighth grade public school health class. It's <laughs> minimal, yeah. you know. It's it's basically just don't get an STD and, and we'll be okay. Right. And um, yeah, so I had... Uh, no information whatsoever in terms of how to navigate any of that type of stuff. So how does that play out in your marriage now? Like, do you you think that that affects your, your sex life now? Or is that something that you've been able to work through pretty well? You know, it's never been a problem for us, fortunately. Um, We've been married for seven and a half years now. And um, it never really was a problem, honestly. Uh, I guess despite the negative things that I had experienced, I have enough personal experience that I had kind of worked through um, to not be a huge problem on my side of things. And then um, Danica has her own history that is unfortunately a um, poor experiences as well. Uh, but, but we went through pretty thorough marriage counseling before getting married and um it definitely could have been a huge problem and unfortunately wasn't. Yeah. A lot of people that go through the purity culture, you know, even after they get married, um, like they're supposed to, you know, according to the Bible and everything like they're, they're with their, the person they're supposed to be with, they still feel shame even whenever they have sex with their spouse, you know? So is that, is that something you ever Mm -hmm. experienced? Um, no, I don't think so. No. 
and, and like I said, we know that we're fortunate in that sense and, and had the, I guess, wherewithal to, um, and, and good luck of finding a good counselor who was able to help us mm-hmm. kind of work through these things in advance. Uh, because I, I've heard so many horror stories like what you're describing mm-hmm. and, and to have to carry that into a marriage and work through that, I'm sure is very scarring. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, you know, coming from a Mennonite family and then to the Nazarene family, I mean, the Nazarene faith, and that's very conservative. Um, and I myself have gone through or was raised in a conservative environment. Um, did they come down hard on like certain types of behaviors like cursing, swearing, um, premarital sex, Mm -hmm. like what, what was that experience like growing up? How did the faith impact those types of decisions? Right, right. Um, for starters, yeah, the, the swearing thing, it was obviously, it was a huge no, no. Um, that's actually the, the first chapter of my book that kind of sets this all up is I lay out an argument for, you know, there's this, um, experience I had when I was very young. I was um, maybe six years old. And even though I went to the Mennonite school at that time, we were riding the same bus system as the public school to get there. And I I heard uh, an older kid say, fuck. And I came home and asked my mom, what does fuck mean? <laughs> and uh, her her little angel, you know, her oldest child just said that word. So she uh, lost her mind a little bit. And um <laughs> I, I tell it as as a funny story because it, it is funny to me at this moment. But uh, she did the whole, you know, feed me soap thing to wash out Ooh. my mouth. And I'm all like, yeah, you ever tasted soap? It doesn't taste like a Jolly Rancher. No. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, swearing was a big no-no. Um, but I, I lay out the argument of, well, when, you know, I was in school or in high school still, when we moved to Colorado... Um, I told my parents over and over again, I don't want to move. I'm happy where I am. I did have some good friends despite all the things I'm describing. And um, I told my mom without swearing, I was like, I, I will hate you forever if you do this to me. And, and I told my dad that as well. I told both of them, I will absolutely hate you forever. You might as well just kill me now. And uh, the argument being, I wasn't saying any of these like key words that were so offensive, these curse words. But there's no doubt in my mind that these were more hurtful words I was saying. Um, so that that's part of how I kind of uh, worked through that one. Uh, my parents still don't uh, want me to swear in front of them and stuff. And uh, that's something they haven't quite fully grown out of at the moment. But that's okay. Um, to your point, Seth, um, it, it, it really affected all of my early beliefs and um, I know it's kind of a silly buzzword at this point, but as I started going through the deconstruction process and all that, I started realizing that uh, it turns out um, my faith in some ways was holding me back from understanding what God actually was. Is that part of your shame journey of the walking through deconstructing what you grew up believing or what your parents believe? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely cover several topics related to that as well with um, realizing that prayer doesn't work the way that I thought it did, um, you know, especially going through infertility. We, up to this moment, we still don't have kids and realizing, oh, okay, well, I was told that if you just believe something sincerely and ask for it, you're going to have it and it doesn't work that way, at least not 100% of the time. And then feeling as if... Um, 
Well, just questioning like, okay, so what type of faith community is there for me when I don't believe the same things about prayer, when I don't believe the same things about worship, when I don't believe the same things about tithing? And um, yeah, that, that definitely builds up um, shame and, and maybe guilt. And um, and I, I talk some about embarrassment as well and, and feeling as if you, it, where do you fit into all of this? That's interesting. So you talk about like a, you know, kind of like you beforehand, you believed one thing about prayer. uh, You believed one thing about worship. You believed one thing about tithing. Like what changed? Tell us about the change that you had. Like what's different? Yeah. um, Well, and honestly, part of why I I wanted to write a book was I wanted to record and and demonstrate that it's kind of a journey. Um, So I I would say, even though I, I have very different beliefs on those things now, I am willing and, and honestly content with saying that they're ever evolving and um, ever changing. Um, with prayer, I've, I've really come to view prayer more as um, almost like meditation, I guess. I'm, I'm not very well practiced at it, to be honest. I'm still trying to figure out what role prayer has in my life. Um, but I, I certainly don't believe in the prayer type experiences I've had in churches recently. Now, we actually ultimately left the church we were going to while I wrote 95% of this book. Um, not strictly because of the book and the content <laughs> in there, um, but it, it's all tied together for sure. Um, so I, I don't regularly pray with, pray, excuse me, with, you know, 10 people right now, but public prayer, I definitely look at very differently. Is that a Nazarene church you were going to? Um, no, I... I last time I went to a Nazarene church was probably seven or eight years okay. ago. Uh, we've been going to a non-denominational church out here, and honestly, it didn't. It wasn't vastly different theologically, but uh, it it kind of unexpectedly grew into a mega church while we were going there. So, what do you think that prayer is now? Like, what what is prayer to you now? Beforehand, it was probably like yeah. uh, you know what what everybody thinks it is as a young age. It's like I pray for something that I want, and you know if I'm good or if God is good, uh, at some point, whenever you know in His perfect timing, I'll receive it. Right. So, what is uh, what is prayer to you now? Yeah. So um, that's tough, honestly. Uh, I think I still do. I see it as kind of a, a meditative thing, like I was saying, and. And being present, um, I've noticed that that does when I when I put effort into it and intentionality around it, it does help some with like my anxieties and stuff like that. Um, in terms of praying in groups, um, I, I still, if for some reason I'm asked to do that, um, which occasionally has happened, uh, the way I kind of see it is that I can still, um. I can still calm people, I guess, with the words that I'm saying. And I think that uh, it's like almost attuning people to the presence of God. I I don't think prayer really uh, creates God's presence or or makes it more active. Um, I feel as if God is always present, um, but I can still use maybe some key phrases or words that the people around me would be more um, aware of that presence, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what's your hope with this book? What's, what's your desire of impact? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing I'm hoping for is that people will read it and, uh, something in my experience will stick out to them as I remember being bullied or I remember 
the impacts of purity culture on me or I remember when I felt like I didn't belong in a church system or or whatever it is um that's part of why I hit so many topics was I was hoping to not just be transparent about my whole life but to um create a, a broad enough spectrum that hopefully you the individual would find something compelling in it as well and and to just know that you're not alone that um you know, there are other people who have had this experience and felt like they couldn't talk about it. And I also try and I think effectively demonstrate that, you know, writing about it, sharing it, talking to people about it um, releases the shame of it. It, it might not be an overnight thing, but um, it's a way of finding, you know, freedom and finding um, comfort because the longer you hold on to those things internally and don't share it, it's just going to keep eating away at you. It's not going away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to piggyback off of that. Um, as a mental health professional in the field, you know, I see shame, um, guilt and shame has a massive impact on people's lives in regards to depression, anxiety, um, debilitating, um, self-shame and hatred and all of that that comes with that. And so hearing your story on shame, what are the things that you found are the most beneficial or the things that help you move past the shame to where it's not debilitating, but is something that you've grown from? What What is the process you've gone through um, to get to the other side? Yeah, that's a great question. I'll start out by saying I don't have any formal training or anything like that. I'm not an expert. Um, this book is very much um, just the the written personal journey. And uh, I definitely make that clear in the book itself as well. Um, but for me, it, it really was a matter of sharing with people that I know and love, uh, especially, you know, Danica in particular, my wife. Um, if if we didn't have a healthy marriage, this never would have gotten written because I couldn't have processed it in the ways that I did. Um, every time I wrote a chapter, um, because a lot of this information was new to her too, but every time I wrote a chapter, I, I would have her be the first person to read it and we would talk about the actual um, content of the chapter before we would talk about the you know quality of writing and storytelling and things like that. She would She would be like, oh, I didn't even know you had experienced that or, or whatever the case may be. Um, so I, that's really a, a key thing is, is just, um, having a, a safe space to, to be able to process it with someone. So you're obviously still involved with God and you may not be part of a church anymore. Um, do you see yourself kind of like, I mean, obviously you said you're going through deconstruction and, I'm guessing you haven't found a church to replace the fundamentalist or excuse me, the um, non-denominational church that you were going to. Do you see yourself moving away from faith or what does that look like in your life nowadays? Yeah. Uh, I'll start out by saying I definitely still consider myself a Christian. Um, I am a lot less afraid of other faiths. I, um, if I, if I felt like it was the most precise answer, I wouldn't have a problem calling myself a Buddhist or Hindu or whatever the case may be. Um, I still find something to be uniquely compelling about Christianity. Um, that being said, I, I enjoy reading other faiths and uh, learning about them. I probably got some more homework to do there. Um, but I, I think for me at this point, I'm 
in a stage where I'm more questioning the the stru- the structures of Christianity and the structures of American religion since that's the you know context that I've grown up in. Um, so I don't know if I, we we really my wife and I we've got some more work to do there, but we don't know if we're gonna go back to another church. Um, we don't know if we are we gonna go to maybe only a house church where uh, the concerns around you know financial uh, efficiencies and stuff like that really make sense. Um, are we going to go to a traditional church that we just need to find the right one that lines up with our beliefs more? I'm not quite sure where we're going to land on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting journey. Um, you know, I dealt with a lot of shame stemming from my fundamentalism uh, and, you know, growing up in that, I say growing up in that culture, you know, whenever I actually uh, got introduced to that culture, I was already a teenager, but um, it was during very formative years of, of my life where, you know, I started to experience shame in such a heavy way. You know, I remember being down on my knees begging for God's forgiveness for hours one time because I said a curse word, uh, you know, and it was like, yeah, that kind of stuff really traumatizes you. And I, you know, I, I started questioning way later on in life, whether, you know, God was who he said he was and whether he existed. And it wasn't until I just decided that there's no possible way for me to ever prove that God exists. That there's no possible way for me to ever know for sure. So I'm just going to not worry about it as much anymore and just say, you know what? I don't know if you exist and that's okay. And whenever I decided to do that, the shame just lifted you know, and it's like, awesome. for me, that was a pivotal point in my life. And that's not the way it has to be for everyone. I can tell Seth's getting triggered. <laughs> um, I don't think that there's anything wrong with, with, you know, saying, no, I believe in God and he's real, you know, or whatever. But I'm just telling you an anecdotal story about for me, that's when shame, right. you know, that that's when my shame went away. And I felt like it just almost like a, you could visualize it leaving your body. Like for me, that was that experience, mm. you know, Seth. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> here it comes. Okay. So we here at Fade to Gray are all about hearing, you know, multiple sides and, and being able to look at things from multiple angles. And, and as a result, Chris is allowed <laughs> to share how he dealt with, with his shame <laughs> by becoming. You're not, uh, you're not going to shut him up. Uh, he has a right to share his story, but uh, if we're going to promote yes, he does. Uh, non-belief in God, I think we should also promote belief in God. And I think that there is a way um, of healing from shame um, while also holding a Christian faith. Well, sure. Mine's just easier. I think, well, <laughs> easier for you. I'm kidding. The consequences for you. may be I'm more kidding. Easier. We we all have to make <laughs> decisions in life, um, and I just want to highlight that I think that there's a lot of healing and a lot of power that can be found in a vibrant relationship with Christ, regardless of church attendance or any of the religion-esque components. I think you can get a lot of that just in simple community, but... Um, 
What do you think has changed the most in your uh, in your faith since going through this shame battle and say, getting to the other side in your relationship with your wife and and how you um, approach your faith? How has it changed? I think that um, I think I'm more able to care about other people, um, not necessarily because the system I was in was only um, self-centered. Uh, I, I think maybe there's some arguments about that, but uh, I think it's also just my self-awareness has increased a lot and um, I'm just in a, a much healthier place. Before I would maybe have uh, empathy towards other people, but I wouldn't have any understanding of um, how I could possibly help someone else. And, and I still actually would say that there's probably not a lot I can do to help other people. But I think being willing to tell our stories and stuff like this really does make a substantial difference. I would 100% agree with you on that. And I think not only is it going to help you heal from some of the traumatic experiences that you've been through, the miscarriages, the bullying, um, the parental issues, uh, but other people out there who are afraid to talk about those experiences are going to be able to read your book and they're going to be able to say, you know what? I'm not the only one that's had to deal with something like that. They'll be able to identify with your story. And that right there is how not only do you show empathy with these people, but you actually help them. Um, so I am very excited to read your book. Um, and I certainly hope that everybody else will. In fact, uh, for those that are listening, your book comes out on February the 11th in a few days. And uh, where can uh, where can everyone pick it up at? Yeah, thank you so much. Amazon's going to be the best bet. Um, there's going to be, of course, a Kindle version, but there is physical copies as well. Uh, it's through Choir Publishing, and the the cover is awesome. Also, I'm thrilled about that. Um, my last name is spelled R O G G I E, Josh Rogi, and uh, really appreciate any support. Feel free to follow me on Facebook as well. I am not at all a famous person in any way and probably never will be. So if you need somebody to share something with, you can always message me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Josh, for being on our show today. The name of the book, again, is called Shame, an Unconventional Memoir. And you can find it, like you said, on Amazon on February 11th is the release date. Be sure to go follow Josh on Facebook at Josh Rogie Writer. Is that right? Yep. I wrote author when we first <laughs> talked, said this, and I was like, nope, that's not what he said. Writer as in writer with a pencil, everybody. Um, <laughs> yep. And uh, we just, yeah, thanks again for being part of our show. And hope you listeners go check it out and pick up a copy of his book when it's released on February 11th. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Fade to Gray. Today's episode was edited by me, Elizabeth music was by Dan Koch. Be sure to check out Josh Rogie's book on Amazon. We'll throw a link in the show notes, as well as a link to his Facebook page. Also, if you like our show, be sure to like and subscribe on the podcast app of your choice. Leave it a rating and a review too, if you feel so inclined. We'd love to hear what you guys think. Follow Fade to Gray on Instagram and Facebook at Fade to Gray Podcast and on Twitter at Fade to Gray Pod. Be sure to check out the other podcasts in our network, including the newest podcast, Movies That Molded Me. Yes, we've turned it into its own show. Wherever you find Fade to Gray Podcast, you can find Movies That Molded Me as well. 
You can also find my own show, Four in Tow Podcast. It's a homeschool podcast all about encouraging the homeschool parents on their homeschooling journeys. Check out all these and more on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And stay tuned because Seth's about to release his own podcast, Mental, coming up in March. More details about that coming soon. So until next time, guys, have a great week and peace.